McNulty stunning for to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to PO4 Cast episode 140. Well, it's three wins in a row for the Blues. Is the playoff hunt back on? During the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunce. I think we've just got to have the mantra of, yeah, the playoff race is back on. Why the hell not? Um, we've got a bit of a bit of distance to catch up to attain my pre-season prediction of fourth, which I'm fairly certain I was just white girl wasted where I made in hindsight. But, uh, yeah, not too bad. Thank you, buddy. Uh, been on strike for the last two days, so uh, fuck the system. More pay for Andy. More <laughs> pay for Andy. I was there. I'm, I'm here for you, brother. Got my got my placard out, picture of your Mate. face and loads of money falling from the sky. Come and cross the picket line with me. It's exciting. <laughs> cash in. <laughs> cash in, boys. Freddie Webber, you also joined the picket line for uh, getting more cash for Andy. Well, well our lecturers need, need an actual pension, so... Obviously, why not? Um, yeah, just can I just jump in there? Just saying, lad, boys, I don't want to get political, but you know, pensions wise, Freddie's touched on it there. People have paid in 85 billion pounds worth of, uh, of money for pensions and they've only got 68 billion. So the answer is apparently to cut everyone's pensions. Fucking buzzing. Um, I say that as someone who's only paid into the pension for about five years, but that is not the point. Solidarity, boys, solidarity. Solidarity with the six-figure sum lecturers. I'm there for it, Andy Mitchell. Hang on, how, how much money do you think I'm on, mate? Do you think I'm on 100k? Do you actually think I'm on 100k? Yeah, you have to pay, have to pay dots or something. The sort of way you're splashing cash in Spearmint Rhinos on, on Insta, I thought you definitely have enough money. I have no idea what that is, mate. I love that. Just blankly deny your, your script bar membership. But anyway, let's move no, on. No First idea of all, what you're talking about. I'm doing all right today, Hugh, by the way. <laughs> Interrupted by him. Oh, are you oh, pretty, mate? How are you? I'm not so bad. Not so bad. Um, yeah, we'll chat. We'll, we'll chat loads about this uh, the Pompey game on Tuesday, which I which I fell asleep while I was listening to the radio of it, which was sad because I missed Louis Thompson's wonderful goal. So that's you know made my week week slightly worse. It's always a good sign of a football match when you doze off. But I'm blaming your job for that rather than the actual football. But it, it was an intense day to be fair. Let's get it started then. First of all, we're going to review the win against Shrewsbury. Following from that, we put a question out to you guys, and that was, with Pompey winning three games in a row, should Joe Morell be put back into the starting lineup, or should Danny Cowley stick with the winning side? And then we're going to preview the weekend's big match against Fleetwood. Right, boys. Shrewsbury. Well, it didn't start the best, did it? Ball into the box from a corner, and Pompey went 1-0 down. Freddie Webb, from that point on, when you weren't snoozing off, this is what I'm going to you first right now, 
Did you think that that was going to be a difficult goal to overturn with Shrewsbury's defensive record? Uh, absolutely, because well, on paper, it was the worst case scenario that Shrewsbury would go one nil up early. They can sit, they can sit deep, they can hunker down, fill up the penalty area, let Pompey put in loads of crosses, uh, and then just hit them on the counter. So it was again. I think how, how many times we've we seen Pompey not not start games very well. Before that, Marlon Romeo got rinsed by Nurse, uh, the Shrewsbury player, then squared it to blocks and it's deflected wide. And it was awful, awful defending from the corner. Luke Leahy was left on his own. And Bazunu was in that weird spot where he wanted to come for the ball, but the cross curved away from him. And he, he was in a bit of no man's land there. But no, I don't blame the keeping entirely. I think the fact that Luke Leahy was unmarked was the main thing, to be honest. And yeah, from there, it looked uh, a bit bleak, didn't it? Very bleak anyway. I think Andrew Moon and Guy Whittingham touched on the broadcast, but Lutley, he's not the tallest player. So from a corner, one of those defenders has really got to get on the end of that before before Leahy does. But Andy, from that point on, did you feel that Pompey could get back into the game? And obviously Pompey did go on and get that first goal, thanks to Denver Hume. Yeah, was it given to Hume in the end or to O'Brien? Was it given to Hume? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to disagree with Freddie slightly. I don't think you can blame Bazuna at all for the goals, to be honest with you. I think that's, it's completely on, I don't I can't remember who lost the man, to be honest with you. Um, I've not watched it back, but I think that's completely on whoever it, it, lost it, it, nobody, nobody had him really at all, to be honest. It was just, it's, you know. The, it was a very, um, a very lower league goal to concede, wasn't it? I think, yeah, credit where it's due. I think the, just before that goal, the what set up the corner was Raggett with an incredible block with his head. I think credit where it's due for that one. I thought Raggett had a pretty strong game. Uh, to answer your question, Mr. Bunce, um, no, I did not think we were going to come back into the game, especially before half time. Partially because the recurrent theme this year has been that Pompey don't react brilliantly to conceding. We don't normally get a big reaction. And partially because, you know, away against a team near the bottom of the league, you then expect them to put, you know, either five at the back, so or two banks of, you know, five and a four or two banks of four, and um try and see the game out, even from an early, early position like that. So I wasn't entirely confident and I was actually somewhat less confident when um when they went down to ten men, even though we were one all at that point, because we aren't very good against 10 men traditionally this season either. I think it's Cambridge and Sheffield Wednesday, the two that come to mind. I don't know if there's been any others that I can't think of off the top of my head, but we've really struggled to break teams down when they've just, you know, had 10 men on the pitch. So in short, no, I did not think we would come back and win the game. And uh, I'm extremely pleasantly surprised that we did. Andy, what do you want an eye follow? I saw some of the Shrewsbury fans thought that, the goal did not cross the line from Denver Hume, even though the assistant flagged it. I saw there was a few angry Shrewsbury fans online about that. And I think Lewis Cox, I think he's from the Shropshire Star, off the top of my head, put it out there saying that, yeah, they were all the game and it was a goal. Moving on, you said about them going down to 10 men. This is quite a critical period of the game, isn't it? Points in the game, even. We all think it's a red card, don't we? Freddie Webb? Oh, 100%. Vela gets nowhere near the ball, does he? <laughs> I mean, it, it starts off that well, literally he went in a 50 50 with Romeo and he went down. The challenge, that challenge, since it seemed a bit innocuous, we didn't know what it was. Ball eventually gets to Ryan Curtis and Vela just loses his head. 
goes in scissor tackle from behind. I mean, it, it, I, I, I'm not I'm not a person to jump to the red card immediately. But even if he gets the ball, there's an argument that the referee could give him a red card for that for a dangerous play. So the fact that he gets none of the ball and goes through the back of Ronan Curtis, it's pretty cut and dry decision, isn't it? Andy, do you agree with Freddie? Or is this a situation where opposition fans, a bit like the Joe Morrell red card, are saying, oh, you know, it could have been a red card and, and you know, they're unlucky to get a player sent off for it? I wouldn't put it in the same ballpark at all as the Joe Morrell red card. I think that 100% should have been overturned. And I don't think this would have a hope in hell of being overturned. Uh, watching it live, honestly, first reaction was sometimes that's a red card, sometimes it isn't. I didn't think it was dreadful, but it was obviously a fairly bad scissor tackle. But I have watched this back. Not sure why I've watched this back, but not all of the goals. Yeah, watching it back, I think it has to be a red card. I think it was slightly worse than I thought it was on first viewing. Again, from memory, I think Vela was wound up because Pompey hadn't put the ball out of play because another Shrewsbury player was down. You give me the thumbs up, which means I've not made up that bit of trivia, which is fantastic news. Yeah, and I think he just lost his head a bit. And as Fred said, he gets nowhere near the ball. It is an incredibly stupid tackle, particularly in the first half. And to be honest, whether it's a stonewall red or not, it's a particularly stupid thing to do to give the referee that decision. Because your first half of the game, you know, the, the game's on a bit of a knife edge anyway. And it's, you know, a point for them would have been huge at that end of the table. So it's just an incredibly stupid thing to do, to be honest with you. Why give the referee the decision? And I think more often than not, the referee is going to give that as a red card. I don't think it was a complete horror show of a you know a knee breaker, two feet lunging in off the ground, but it was a bloody bad tackle. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't see how they can have any complaints. And yeah, I, I, it was a red for me more often than not. And Freddie, when you move, we move on with the game a little bit, there was a few chances for George Hurst, weren't there? When it was at one-one, and you think Pompey a little bit on top, we've got to push forward and try and get a goal. Do you think one of those has to go in or, you know, what's your feeling on those couple of chances for George Hurst? Yeah, he definitely had a few, didn't he? Um, it was two headers. The first one, he was pretty much he was pretty much sent to the box. Running Curtis put in a very nice driven driven cross. Arguably, Hurst just had to put it put his head on it and direct it, uh, direct it wider. Then it would have been right in the corner. Didn't need to put any power on it. Puts it in a place where it's easier for the keeper to save. I mean, it was good reactions from Morosi, but still, I think it was. Uh, I think Hurst needed to do a bit better there. The XG on that was 0.11, which I think is a bit low, personally. But there we are. The second header, where it was, De- it was Denver Hume's um, in swing, in swing cross. Hurst gets in front of his man, which is good, but then again, seems about a yard behind uh, behind the play. I think if he's a yard forward, he would have got a better. Better touch on it, but, it, but yeah, glance that header wide. I didn't like that very much. Um, 0.13 on that XG, which again, I think that's low considering where he was. And yeah, I think he should have took those chances a lot better, in my opinion. Um, they were more guilt edged than they were. So Danny Kelly makes a change at half time, takes Hayden Carter off, brings Marcus Harness on, shifts him to right back. Andy mentioned that he thought after the red card it could be difficult with the team sort of parking the bus it wasn't my opinion at the time I think Shrewsbury for instance as a team do defend with the back five out of possession that's what I spoke to with Ollie before the game when we were previewing it their style of play is very much so that sit back and hit on the counter 
So I don't know if it would make that much difference in that sense. But yeah, he brings on Marcus Harness, which is quite an attacking substitution in that sense. Plays him at right back. Andy, how do you feel that change at half time Going to the back four, which some fans have been calling out for anyway, do you think it made a difference attackingly? Obviously, Pompey got the win, but could you say the formation change made a big impact? I think the logic behind it, you absolutely can't argue with. The fact that Shrewsbury, when they went down to 10, had one man up top instead of two. So Pompey therefore need two centre-backs rather than three. So they still got the extra man. Makes absolute perfect sense. I saw Cowley say after the game that he almost regretted the decision a little bit with, with the power of hindsight. I mean, I don't think it changed the game a huge amount, to be honest. But in terms of the logic behind the sub, I think with the information he had at the time, and if I was in that situation in exactly the same position, I'd probably make the same sub. It wasn't a reflection on Car- a reflection on Carter's performance in the slightest. It was purely tactical. Um, but I think I think changing shape at half time is always a little bit risky because you give yourself a whole new settling in period at the start of the second half to adapt into that new formation that the other team don't have to do if they've not changed their formation. But I mean, yeah, it's logically it wasn't a wasn't a horror show of a decision by any stretch of the imagination. I think it was it was pretty sensible, but I don't think it changed the game a huge amount. I'm not a massive fan of Harness playing in that role, to be honest. I don't think it really suits what he brings to the team at all. Just for me. Some people are obviously going to disagree with that. But um yeah, obviously very results oriented, got the two one win, buzzing. But I yeah, I don't I don't think it was a, a change that really affected the game in a particularly positive way. I agree with Andy a little bit there that it was maybe the right thought process but didn't quite work out. How big a miss was Michael Jacobs here in making a creative spark that could potentially... Andy's given the love heart, I love that. Yeah, how how big a miss was Michael Jacobs? I just had a quick look at, at the stats across the league. He's actually fourth for instance, in League One on key passes with 1.01 per 90, according to Scout, How big a miss is Michael Jacobs there to be that creative spark? Oh, he's very big. Um, not only does he make the key passes into the channels, which, which are key for how Portsmouth need to play, and also his link-up play in and around with other, with other players like Ronan Curtis, I think, he gets, I think he gets more out of them as well. He drives play on his own with dribbles and not many Pompey players do that recently. They're, they're more reliant on passing. But sometimes I like it when Jacobs has just got a lot of spaces in him and he just sees the opportunity and he just kicks the ball forward slightly, tries to dribble past the defender and a lot of the times it works. He creates his own space, which sometimes whenever Pompey has struggled to go forward, they haven't created their own space. A lot of it is being passing in the wild, wide triangles wide, then going into the middle when the defending team hunkers down a little bit and they find it hard to break through packed defences and sometimes having a an attacking player that can create his own space is needed, just somewhere with a little bit more quality. So I definitely think Michael Jacobs was a miss. Um, Pompey weren't brilliant going forward, but they weren't bad, I don't think. I think their, cro- their crossing from the wide areas is much better in this game, um, primarily from Denver Hume. I thought Denver Hume was excellent in that regard. <clears throat> he had 50% cross accuracy, which is very high, really, for a player. And considering you put in eight crosses, that's a lot. So having having players like that definitely helps. But yeah, I think Jacobs in the team would have made things a little bit easier. 
But we didn't have Michael Jacobs, did we? So moving on to this, how we got the second goal, let's get to it. So the performance was a bit laboured. It, it wasn't sort of a, a glut of chances that were happening left, right and centre. But Louis Thompson gets his first goal for Portsmouth. It's a nice move. And he hits it pretty sweetly. When I look back on the replay, he sort of side foots it, doesn't he? Sort of but with power into the back of the net. Freddie Webb, you were asleep, so let's not talk to you. But Andy, what did you think about the goal when it went in? It was one of those ones that when you're watching it and you see them shaping to hit it in League One and then you've got people around you normally going, shoot. And then in the back of your head, you're going, oh, where's this going to end up? Like quasi sort of style. Obviously, it didn't happen that way this time round. Yeah, hell of a finish. Rare moment of quality, which is what we talked about a bit this season, is where we've struggled to break teams down when they've lined up defensively against us. And no one's really taken responsibility or able to create those individual moments of quality that you just need when you're playing against a team who are fairly happy to see it out for a draw, or you're playing against a team and you're one goal down and they're sort of in the last 15 minutes and happy to sit there in banks of of defensive players and try and see the game out. And it's that individual moment of quality we haven't had that maybe we have seen more from teams we've played against. And it was, yeah, hell of a finish. Did not expect that to go when it left his foot. Absolutely not complaining to be wrong about that one. Yeah, it was beautiful, wasn't it? Lovely little goal. Best one I've seen from Pompey for a, for a little while that I can think of. Fred, did it wake you up? Uh, no, I was dead to the world at that point. But, uh, but, I don't, but immediately, immediately uh, when I woke up before my early shift, uh, looked at the result, then looked at Thompson's goal, and I thought, beautiful, uh, best start to my day. The level of research that goes into this podcast, we sleep through the bloody matches. <laughs> it wasn't intentional. I was just one minute there listening to Andy Moon's dulcet tones on the radio. Next thing I knew, it was, uh, uh, it was uh, six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so we're blaming Andy Moon. No, I'm not. No, I'm blaming. That's why I heard. Me, just me being tired. <laughs> All right, guys. There's not really that much more that happened in the game, unless there's anything you want to focus on. Andy looks like he's got his game face on, so I'll fight back to you, Andy. Is there anything else you want to say before we move? On? I don't know what my game face is, but I'm sure it's beautiful. I, I think I'm, I'm just slightly frustrated with how good George Hurst is at getting into goal-scoring positions and how. Like the lack of frequency of them getting converted because it's not as if he's a like you know when we first signed him and a lot of people like oh awful player can't do it in a Pompey shirt won't do it in a Pompey shirt the margins are so small and it's not like he isn't getting into positions where he should be scoring like his positional plays awesome he gets into he's got really good um, sort of a sixth sense of where the ball's going to end up he gets himself into these excellent positions you know those two headers must have been from a combined distance out of about six yards and just can't quite convert them. And I genuinely think that that's something he'll get better at through his career. And I think the whole get sort of knowing where the ball's going to be and having that sixth sense is much harder to learn. So I think it's better for him as, you know, looking ahead in his career to have it this way around. But God, it's frustrating to watch when he's so good at half of the game and then can't quite seal it. It's very frustrating. I'm very confused about him, to be honest. I'm very confused. I found when me and Freddie were standing in the back of the stand against uh, Donny before he got that goal, and I'm thinking, oh, it's just, it's just never going to go in. So at the moment, I've got my George Hurst tattoo on hold, if I'm honest. You know, I'm not sure to to applaud the guy or to uh, or, or to be, you know, confused by it. Hey, just do, um, just, let's just shame Jake Smith here. Just do a Jake Smith and claim you're going to get a tattoo of a player on your body and then just never get around to doing it. That's, 
I'm still waiting for the Sean Raggett tattoo. Yeah, where is the Sean Raggett tattoo on his ass as well? Not that's yeah, it was yeah. That's literally what he's with. And Sean Raggett was on board with it, and um, it just hasn't happened. So I think yeah, Smith needs to put his finger out a little bit and get it done. To be honest. I'll Facebook Jake after after this and ask yeah, him. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, good it. chat. Let's do it. Let's get on board. <laughs> go on, Jake. He doesn't listen probably, so there we go. Um, <laughs> who's your, who your man of the match for the game? I thought it was Denver Hume by quite a while. I'd go Hume. Yeah, his, dri- go his Hume. dribbling was mental in that game. Oh, are you going, yeah. Freddie, I was yeah. assuming you'd bring up the Denver Hume stats that were posted online by the near post. You, uh, uh, I've got different ones. Um they're just oh, as good. He, he has like 89% dribble success rate in that game from nine dribbles and six progressive runs. So he's doing exactly what he's built to do. He's a more attacking force on that, on that wing back side, but isn't as defensively, I guess, defensively unreliable than someone like Hackett would be, who's really a winger playing at wing back. He's got that defense. He's got, he's fairly solid defensively, but he's putting in the crosses in the box his pass accuracy is very high and he's uh, and he's dribbling into space and taking on those runs, which is great. He, he, and for a, fa- a fairly cheap price as well, that's not to be sniffed at. He's doing very well so far and proving a lot of doubt was wrong. We've also haven't done the main bit of this game. Played guess the XG, haven't we? As the, as the last ra- rounding off, uh, I'm going to help you this week because I think the XG stats are rubbish for this game. But um, that, that's the only help I'll give you if you want to guess Pompey's team XG, so their total XG for the game against Shrewsbury. Go on, Andy. Right, I well, I think what we've already heard in this episode is that XG is a beyond flawed metric if those two George Hurst chances were 0.1 was it 0.11 and 0.13 or something which it might be the biggest load of crap I've heard today and it's had some serious competition from things I've heard at work today without wanting to get myself in too much trouble it's you know anyway not going to go off on that rant but if his chances were 0.11 and 0.13 I don't even know how that adds up in terms like do you work out cumulatively then do you add up all the the shots into a total so that's I means it's got to be a minimum of 0.24. All right. So we're starting well. Um, Even I don't agree with it this week. So if that makes you feel any better. Well, that means it could be too, too high or too low. Um, I think it'll be I think it'll be too low. If they're scoring those as 0.1. And I'm dragging this out. No one wants to hear my work in. No one wants to hear me at all. Um, I will go with Pompey's XG for the game at 0.72. Uh, I'm going to go with 1.5, Freddie. Andy Mitchell really doesn't like this metric, but he's getting really good at it. <laughs> the actual XG for the game, given, which I disagree because I think the Hurst chances should have been higher, uh, 0.82. So Andy was only 0.1 off. He's getting really good. Interesting. Really good. I, I thought I thought I'd, I thought I would um, che- cheat for a second, Freddie, to check your stats because I've looked at the other stats from Opta and, and they've given George Hurst zero point eight for his two shots. Oh, I got it from Y Scout. <laughs> That's probably well, why I always use Y Scout for my stuff, so Opta might use it differently. Just thought that was interesting. Really, thought it was a, a little little stat nerd thing. Okay, let's let's move on then. Let's say I put it out to Andy Mitchell celebrating in the background. Go on, Andy. Right, right. Get involved. 
What is this? <laughs> Three in a row, though, lads. That is buzzing. We, we put the question out to you guys, and we said... Pompey have won three in a row now with Joe Morell out of the side. Should Joe Morell come back into the team automatically or should Danny Cowley keep the same winning formula that's happened over the last three games? Thank you to everyone who messaged in. Always really appreciate it. Makes the show. That's what messaged in and he says, Morell comes back in for me. I thought we did all right last night, but we weren't convincing enough that Morell can't get back in. He comes in alongside Thompson and Tunnicliffe drops out. Good chance to manage the likes of Turnicliffe, who's been out injured for a while. Turnicliffe out, Morel in. Andy yeah, Mitchell. I agree with every single sentiment of that. Don't read out any others. That's perfect. End the uh, end the listener interaction bit right there because I I agree with that. That's what happens when you sit directly behind me in the front and end. That's exactly what happens. You get that sort of response. Tim Foot Tim Foot messages <laughs> in and he says, "It's def- I'd definitely bring back bring Morel back in." The team has delivered results without him, but we need to allow for the opposition. Morel definitely makes us stronger. Concerned by the whole Jacobs leaves. Also, like I did with Marquez for years, I'm waiting for Walker to start scoring. Let's touch on that Walker bit because when he came in, we were a little bit excited he could score goals. Admittedly, Freddie was a little more sceptical on the penalty box striker, which he's brought up a few times in the episodes to reinforce his, reinforce his point. But when when he came on, did you have much, you know, what did you think about Walker? And is he going to start scoring or is it just a bad fit, Freddie? He, he doesn't look very, sh- it's a mixture. He doesn't look very sharp. He didn't look very sharp when he came on, to be honest. Freddie, um, you were asleep when he came on. I was, yeah, but I watched the highlights <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> That's why he didn't look sharp, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, to me, non-existent because I was asleep. But no. But he was just dreaming of Tyler Walker. That's why he's got this, this thing in his head. I was, dream- I was dreaming of him actually scoring goals, which <laughs> at the moment hasn't been hasn't been a prayer at the moment. But no, when I watched the game back, he, see, he, he seemed not very sharp. And that was a shame. He's been better outside the penalty area than I thought it would be. But at the moment, we've seen a lot of times where... A ball was flicked onto Hurst and you'd, you'd expect a striker to be running into that space, into the ball and challenge for it. And he hasn't been there. He hasn't been making the right run, runs and linking up players well as I would have liked with that strike partner. Coupled that with a couple of snap chances, he's not playing very well. And Pompey, uh, Pompey don't really have uh, much opportunity to throw away points if they want to be in the playoff conversation. So... And arguably, Aidan O'Brien has done more with less. So now he's started this game. He might even start at home against Fleetwood now, considering considering how decently he's played with less minutes. It's definitely a question for Cowley to answer. But yeah, I thought, even though I had my reservations about Walker, I thought he would have played better than he has been. And secondly, I do think Morel should start in next game because he's our best centre midfielder by quite a way. And him and Thompson um, complement each other very well. Crowdy's shaking his head somewhere, but you know, is what it is. Or was it Crowdy said? Was it sell him? That was it. Get yep. rid of the deadwood. Something like that, wasn't it? Get rid of him this summer, I think he said. He's, he thinks he's out now. That's the end right. of it. Crowdy just hates the Welsh, so it's fine. Is, are you an exception about that, Andy? I'm not sure I am, to be honest with you. That's what makes it so difficult to manage the friendship. We'll, we'll, let, we'll, we'll let Proudy come on the podcast and defend himself to those we'll comments. With We're going to give him a right reply. Give him a right of reply that he's not a massive xenophobe. 
<laughs> also potential sarcasms to those comments. George Andrew Slater messages in. He says, Morell and Thompson to start. Turn a cliff to come on for Thompson on the 65th to 70th minute. Very, very exact. Never want to see Walker in a Pompey shirt again. He's absolutely shocking. Hurst doing well, but can't finish. I'd love to see Hackett up front for a game and see what he can do. What do you guys think? Rico up front? I mean, it's interesting. <clears throat> I mean, I don't think we've ever seen Hackett up front. Uh, he's, it would, for me, be very familiar to when like Harness and Curtis was sort of played in that striker role because he, he's a similar player in that way where he'll press, press the defender very high off the ball, be able to, he's very comfortable with the ball at his feet. But does he have that end product of a, stri- of a striker that many of our strikers should have? Uh, I'm not sure because I haven't seen him play as a striker. I thought, I thought he came on and made the difference for, the, for setting up the Thompson goal. It, again, looked very solid, comfortable on the ball. Did a decent fake shot to get away from the defender and laid it off very nicely. But yeah, it, 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 that could be an option for Danny Cowell to use. But I think I'd rather see O'Brien there because he's at least played. I've seen him play striker a few times and he's on the form right now. And, and his mentality is he's on a six-month contract. He's trying to get as much out of his time at Pompey as he can. And if, with any player who's got that extra motivation, why not play him and ride him out while his form is good? Yeah, and I like the fact that apparently he he wanted an explanation a little bit of why he was taken off by Danny Cowley on the, on the touchline as well. Yeah, nothing nothing feisty, just the sort of like, come on, I'm playing well at the moment. Yeah, you know, Cowley, I'm, Cowley, I'm said it was fit, Cowley said it was for fitness reasons in the, the news. That's what I assumed as well. But it's, it's good to see a striker hungry that he wants to stay on the pitch in that situation. Yeah, Walker's not been great for me, but at the same time, I, I actually think having Rico up front is quite an interesting. He can actually shoot. You know, he's got a good he's got a good shot. You could say, oh, I don't know though. I don't think Danny Cowley is going to do it with the with the strikers we've got in the system now that he's bought in. I think he's probably going to stick with one of those or potentially use Ronan up front instead instead as a, as the next option. But it's an interesting point, George. So four now written all over it. Messages in and says testament to the work ethic ethic and team spirit that we have kept the wins coming without Morel, who is arguably our greatest midfield asset. When Harness has to play 15, 20 minutes at right back, we know we're sure. So very welcome return for me. We've been waiting for Joe to come back in the team, haven't we? You know, we've played some teams that are quite beatable and we've done really well with patching that def- that uh, midfield position up. And for me, Louis Thompson's really raised his game without Joe Morel being there because he sort of had to, isn't he? If his team was going to be successful... Thompson's had to steward the midfield, but I'm just really excited to see the two of them back together. The two best centre midfielders we've got back in the team. And if we want to have any chance of going on a playoff run, we're going to need those two players to really help us control games, especially when we come up against some of the more difficult teams later on down the stretch. Matt Halton messages in and he says, Morel back in for Tunney. Had moments where he showed quality of passing last night, but Morel should be the first name on the team sheet weekly. Also, like to see O'Brien get a full 90 minutes, rating much higher than what we've seen of Walker so far. It's funny how a month can change things, isn't it? Because when, when O'Brien a, a was signed, we weren't that excited about it. And I was more excited about Walker. 
now O'Brien's come in, he scored a goal, nearly scored a second, but it's been given to Denver Hume. But I think it's also that sort of putting himself about a little bit different up front, maybe, to what we've had. And that sort of striker who isn't afraid to, like his first goal, take a chance and throw himself in front of things. And hopefully the ball goes in. He's definitely, he's definitely getting into positions a bit better than Walker. I think that's the key thing. And it's probably what that, that's also one of the reasons why Hurst is getting in the side, because we've mentioned earlier, he's getting in all these good positions. He's not just taking as many chances as we like. But that will equal itself out over time. If the midfield and the crossing is better, then there will be enough chances for these attacking players to score eventually. The deficit can't keep going. Is this right? Fred, Surely. Fred, it doesn't, it doesn't equal itself out over time if the players aren't getting in the right positions. If you or me slipped into the team, no offence, Fred, but if one of us slipped in up front um, alongside George Hurst, it wouldn't even out over time because he's much better at getting in goal-scoring positions than me or you are. Again, no offence. But I, I don't think that it'll even out is an argument that works here because I, I don't think they have the same level of ability in terms of getting into those goal-scoring positions. I think, I think eventually, though, I mean, I think it, with, with Hurst especially, he's getting into all these positions. I think he will eventually take more of his chances, eventually, if he keeps playing the way he is. Arguably, and Walker hasn't done that, which is a big shame. But that's, that's you could shame. you could you could do the John Marquis argument against that, couldn't you? Couldn't you, Freddie? The eventually, if you get all these chances, he's going to start evening out his xG. But actually, yeah, he just keeps underperforming do, yeah. his xG. Yeah. No, so he has he, started evening out. It's just at a different club. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to that. <laughs> what, what I was trying to say though is that I suppose you could say over time he's getting these getting these chances, etc., and it's going to even out. It's not necessarily going to even out, is it? If his finishing isn't good enough. Maybe more hope than expectation on that one. <laughs> yeah, I think Tyler Walker's had that one really good chance a couple of games ago. I can't even remember which game it was. There's been so many recently um, with sort of a one-on-one that got saved by the keeper and had obviously that one snapshot last night from outside the box with the run and the snapshot went sort of high and wide. But it hasn't really felt like a oh, this is going to click any second now, has it, as yet? And that's not me writing him off. Again, I really hope he fires. And it might just be he needs a bit of match fitness. Who knows? But um, it's not felt like it's on the brink of clicking. Like, it, for me, it does more with Hurst. Yeah, no, I agree. I think all Pompey need, really, is one of these strikers to go click on fire and start putting away a few of these chances. And suddenly, we're doing all right. So we've got a few of them out there now the lottery of Pompey strikers. And I'm just hoping one of them comes good over this last uh, few months of the season. So what you're saying is that to be successful, we need our strikers to score more goals. Just the level of analysis we put out on this podcast. It's stunning. We're so... so Don't be a cynical bastard, Andy. What what I was trying to say is all we need is one of them to come good and start putting away some of these chances. I'm fairly certain that my role on this podcast is cynical bastard, isn't it? Isn't that why I'm on it? to balance out your outrageous levels of optimism that, that we all love so much. I don't know. You're, you're the avid John Marquis defender. I could say you've, you're the blind optimist of the podcast, Mr. Fourth in the League of this season prediction. <laughs> I know, I'm just low-key optimism. It's, um, yeah, it's very dry. We'll call it dry optimism, but it comes out as just being a miserable git. Well, you know, every, every podcast needs one of those. Pompey Hobgoblin messages in and he says, oh, yes. Oh yes, oh yes, to bring in Joe Morrell back into the team. Well, I think everyone seems to share your enthusiasm there. Harrison Smith meshes in and says, 
start Morel and give Tuck Shop some rest as he's not long back from injury. Thompson is class. Injury prone, but he's playing too well not to start. Overall, Pompey are getting it done. At the minute, let's enjoy it and hope some of these loans turn to permanence in the summer. Without derailing the topic too much, is there many players we've got on loan that you guys want to see signed in the summer? Or is this just too early to tell Freddie Webb? I think it's very early still. Um, very early. As much as I would like Pompey to make a move for Marlon Romeo, even though he ha- even though his form recently hasn't been brilliant as it was earlier in the season, he's dropped off a tiny bit, maybe due to playing so much. I think he'd be a very good player to have on a permanent uh Hurst is a still a strange one. I don't think I'll ever decide whether I want him to be a permanent Portsmouth player or not. And some of the others, potentially, potentially. But from what I've read, that tran- that transfer philosophy might not be put forward because apparently from Andrew Cullen, he, 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 he said in the news recently that Pompey will be looking to move to a transfer strategy of looking at younger players from lower down the leagues who are ready to step up into League One or from or from academies who haven't had that chance. He cited examples of looking for Scott Twines and Matt O'Reilly's, that sort of player. Some people have been cynical about that, saying Pompey are going bargain basement dipping and, and risking things rather than getting a solid players from the Championship with experience. And others are quite excited about that because obviously... There's a lot of value to be had looking at players from League 2 who are good and can make the step up to League 1 because so many have. I, I personally, I think a blended approach is always good, but I think it seems that maybe Pompey would be looking less at signing players released from Championship clubs and uh, more the other way. Interesting point from that. I see Pompey are the third oldest team in the league with an average age of 27.9 years. Um, not necessarily bad. Wickham the oldest team in the league, followed by Sheffield Wednesday, us, Wigan, Shrewsbury, Oxford, Gillingham, Rotherham, Ipswich. So there are some good teams up there who have oldie-woldie squads like us. But do you think that that's because we need an injection of youth and that's maybe where the strategy comes from, Andy Mitchell-Moore? Well, youth isn't everything in itself, you know. Uh, obviously, that's stating the obvious, maybe a tiny bit. But I don't want to back up Fred sitting on the fence so much he's got splinters, but he is right. It's going to be a blended approach, let's be honest with you. Um, everyone knows you famously don't win anything with kids. That's If there's anything we've learned from football in the last 30 years, it's that. And that, that quote is probably going to go over the head of everyone under the age of like 23 that listens to this, right? Um, completely lost my train of thought. But I think I'm uh, I'm I'm probably slightly bias towards having an older squad because it's so fresh in my memory when our average age was about 16 and a half plus Johnny Ertel. I don't, I don't know. I'm probably a little bit biased that experience would mean more to me um, rather than, you know, if we didn't have those experiences of an exclusively youth team set up for a few years, maybe I'd be more excited about the younger players just coming in and taking the league by storm. But I think what's important to remember is that for every Twine or O'Reilly, you get 25 to 30 Drew Talbots. People yeah. people thought there was value in bringing Brian Morrison, a player in his early 20s who seemed to be getting things together in centre field and it didn't work. You're going to have a lot of those hit and misses. People thought of that with Andy Cannon, but he was, he was a bit better. So you are going to have a lot of times 
he, your scouting is going to have to be really good. Your scouting is going to have to be really good. I think Peterborough, Peterborough comes to mind as a team that does it well, who invest heavily in players lower down the leagues. And a lot of the time they do quite well. Yeah. But we, we, Pompey haven't got that record of doing that yet. It's been very hit and miss. It depends. Are we, get, are we going to get youngsters with, are we going to get youngsters with the youth setup that's going to fill those gaps? Because, uh, Again, I'm going to get with you. I'm going to give you news that's going to make you feel sick. Andrew Cullen put the, uh, put more doubts on Pompey getting an under twenty three side. Uh, speaking in the Tony Goodall fan conference, he's shaking his head. He basically said that the pathway for the club's under twenty three, the category three academy youngsters, might not be brilliant by using an under twenty three side. He he said he preferred to loan out players so they can get senior football. Not often do I use direct quotes, but I've got them here. Speaking at the Tony Tony Goodall fan conference, Andrew Cullen said, in terms of whether that that should be via an under-23 side or loans into men's football, it's all about the games programme. The, the Category 1 sides, though, for reference, that's the top-tier academies like Premier League ones, get a decent standard of under-23 games. There aren't that many Cat 2 academies or under-23 sides among Category 3 academies. So no, so, so no real games programme, so your fixtures or on an ad hoc basis where they just get put around. Instead, we're looking to give our youngsters an experience of competitive men's football in the second half of their scholarship, and that will also be a consideration for first and second year pros to enable them to make the transition into first team league football. A major part of our strategy will be to develop links with clubs at all levels from league two to the conference and below that. And he cited examples of Sending players on loan to Bogner Regis and Harvey Drip White doing fairly well at Haven and Waterlooville as examples. The first thing that popped into my head: Why don't you do both? Well, where we've been doing this question. How long we've, have we been going on about this for? And we've been doing it for bloody ages. You look at players like Brad Lethbridge and that sort of generation of youth players. They they go out to these teams like Bogner, like Gosport, and most of them don't come back. <laughs> yep. So I don't, I don't really see what the difference is in that strategy compared to what we've been doing, except it sounds, yeah, potentially a bit less successful. I vaguely, get the, I vaguely get the idea that they want to give youngsters a chance at experienced men's football before their first team ready. But it's not a gimme if you send those players out on loan that they're going to get experience, the right experience in those sides. And they're not going to get regular football. So I, I just think not by having that side. I think I think you're shoehorn. I think you're making your strategy too linear for me. You're going down one direction, and that's not going to fit every single youngster we have. It, it's very very frustrating for me because when Cullen came from MK Dons, it was one of the things I was hoping he would sort of bring that sort of strategy with him. Again, we're talking about how old teams are. MK Dons are the second youngest team in the league. Obviously, very successful. An average age is twenty three point six. Mark Catlin said exactly the same lines, Freddie, to us years ago on the podcast when I asked him directly about why we don't have an under-23s team. All the quotes you just said, so I won't repeat them again, was exactly what Mark Catlin told us when he was on the podcast. Pretty not word for word, but pretty much exactly the same. And we said at the time, if you've got an under-23s team, you can always loan out to other, other clubs, like, like Bogner, if you want to. And at the point about the category academies, get a better academy. That seems to be the natural strategy to want to build up to become a more successful academy, academy to go into a category two academy, like the, the likes of 
you know, massive teams like Colchester or whatever who are doing far better than us with their youth setup. So for me, it seems to be a little bit of a company line here, a little bit of an approach from top down. And we're hearing the same things from a CEO who said the same as from the CEO before. I think that we, it's important for us to remember that there is a, a finite amount of money and that money has got to spread around various different aspects of the club, right? Partly to do with youth development, partly to do with player acquisition, etc. To bring in that healthy dose of cynicism you mentioned already on this pod today, Hugh, to me it sounds like if the goal is to bring in players from lower league, younger players, from that, and I've, I've not heard that quite until Fred said it, so I don't know what the context is. I'm, I'm assuming Fred isn't just selling us all up a river here. That's not a say. That's not uh, a phrase. No, uh, yeah, both, well, the, um, the one about this transfer strategy was from Neil yeah. rather than the news. Okay, so Tony Goodall fans conference was about under 23 sides. Okay, so assuming that um, that's taken as read, my reaction to that would be they're not looking at making any sort of marquee signings for elite, even for League One standards over the summer coming up. And they want to build up a young, exciting, vibrant attacking team that may also be slightly cheaper. But then what you're talking about with the the youth setup there is also sounding like it's the slightly cheaper option. So I'm I'm curious, is this money then needing to be redirected into the stadium itself? Because I'm I'm aware that you know there is a finite amount of money. You can't track millions of pounds making Fratton Park safe and good and all this stuff and doing upgrades there and chuck millions of pounds at players and chuck millions of pounds at a Category 1 like academy. You can't do all of those things. You have to pick your priorities. But looking forward, it's like we were saying the other week when we were talking about transparency. It'd be really nice to hear what the priority is, where the majority of the funding is going into, or if it is just a general, like an actual, like, slight cutbacks because we're thinking about sort of COVID stability and long-term making the club, you know, a viable option for the next 10, 20 years. I'm not entirely sure where the money is going to be going. And that's not me saying it's not going anywhere. I'm not one of these like, oh, they're just trying to set line their pockets and get money out of the club. Because let's face it, you aren't going to make a profit owning Portsmouth Football Club. That's not what this is about. But I'm curious where that money is being redirected to or if it is we're cutting back a little bit until we know what the COVID landscape is going to be moving forward. So just the two examples you've given there both look like a slight cut back. So I don't know where that money's going, if anywhere. Yeah, no, I think, I think for me, it's not, you know, obviously there is a certain amount of money. I think for me, what the thing that's annoying me a little bit is actually just the trying to make that sound like a footballing decision rather than a financial one. I think that's where, that's where my issue is. All right, let's move on to the preview, boys. I think we don't want to get stuck with the academy because I will just start getting more and more annoyed as you move on. So, Freddie Webb, since you've done the majority of this research on this game, do you want to lead off with the Fleetwood preview? Yeah, I can do. Uh, Fleetwood are quite a strange team now. Um, Stephen Craney now is the manager since Simon, Simon Grayson got the boot earlier in the season. A big turnover of players. The key player out, I think, for Fleetwood was Jay Matetu a young 20-year-old centre-mid who's gone to Sunderland, had a lot of technical ability, and I think I saw him in the first game of the season against Pompey, and he seemed like a very comfortable player on the ball. So that's one of the major outs. Key transfers in for them, Josh Harrop on loan from Preston North End, attacking midfielder, creative mould, probably to try and replace Mateto on a, on a short time. 
Another player that some Portsmouth fans might know, Toto Nsiala from Ipswich, uh, fullback. Statistically, high dual stats, but whenever I've watched him, he's a bit cumbersome as a defender and gets le- and gets skinned very easily. And obviously, Ellis Harrison up front, ex-Pompey player who scored in his first game for Fleetwood, obviously, to make us look like mugs. With that big turnover, it seems like it seems like I, I'm not sure if their um, their style of play has changed because from the first game against Pompey, I remember going away. They had a lot of they had a lot of young players. They, they were they were aiming to pass the ball around the attacking three around the penalty area, then use through balls in between the defenders to try and make space. That didn't work in the end in that game. And then I saw them in other games throughout the season playing more direct, which was probably Simon Grayson's fallback. But with a new manager and a new, and some new players, there could be some extra motivation for them to play a bit better. So it's not a gimme by any stretch of the imagination. Players like Josh Harrop have played in the Championship before and have got creative sparks about them. It's not going to be a completely direct side like Shrewsbury was. So Pompey are going to have to play a bit differently, I think. I mean, you call Enziala cumbersome. I'll call him a, just a terrible player. I can't, I don't rate him in the slightest. I've never seen him play well. I've watched a fair few Ipswich games as well because one of my friend, best friends supports them. Um, so I watched a few of their games on and off. He wasn't good there. He was dreadful whenever they played against us. It was Ellis Harrison that made him get subbed at half time down at Fratton Park. I think it was last year. The bloke is a, on, on his day, he can be actually detrimental to the team he's playing for. And I think if you can get to him early doors, I don't think he's mentally strong. I think if you rattle him, he's bad for the game. Like in terms of, you know, he's bad for his team in the game. I think he finds it hard to bounce back against adversity, sort of at yeah, in football and context. So I'll go one step further than you say, said there, Fred. I don't think he's cumbersome. I think he's rubbish. I, I thought cumbersome was bad enough. Gee, good God. I mean, <laughs> cumbersome is a very, it's a very good word. I might use that in Scrabble on a, that's a hell of a lot of letters, but um, it is a, yeah, I think it's an understatement. I don't rate him. But they're coming in fairly cold. They've had two games suspended since they last played. So they've not played for, well, it'll be two weeks between games for them. And we've played a few games in that time. Obviously, have a midweek as well. So hopefully they'll come in slightly cold. That'd be good. And you'd think that Raggett will know Harrison's movement like the back of his hand, you would hope. It was kind of like, you know, I'm hoping it'll be like when Connor Chapman came back to play against us was he maybe at Coventry, maybe? And Burgess just had him in his back pocket for the whole game. And I'm hoping it'll be the same with Raggett and uh, Ellis Harrison, where he just knows him inside out. Hopefully not literally. Speaking to a couple of people I know at Fleetwood, Paddy Lane, one of their centre midfielders, is supposed to be quite an exciting player. He's only 21 years old. He likes to dribble, pass the ball well, eight assists, leads the team, four goals. Plays in the centre of a three for them. They play like a four-three-three formation. Young, exciting midfielder boy starting, leading the team in assists. But yeah, he's supposed to be very good. Obviously, Ellis Harrison. You know, is anyone is anyone not going to put a pound on him to score in this game? You know, just as a token effort to say, ah, I knew he'd score. There we go. Look, Fleetwood, low possession team. Interesting stuff though, Freddie. Which I thought you would be would find quite funny is that Fleetwood's expected goals is thirty-one point six. And they're actually scoring, which is second lowest in the league. Uh, and they're actually 11th in actual goals this season at 44. 
So I don't think there's many teams exceeding their XG quite like Fleetwood Town. I was hoping you'd give some analysis on that, why you think it is. Uh, I haven't watched Fleetwood enough to figure that out, really. It might just be a lot of screamers. We're not sure. That can definitely happen. Which That's probably the main thing with XG. Usually, if it's if it's a differential that bad, it's usually a lot of screamers from like 25 yards or headers, because in general, headers are marked lower on XG sometimes, which I still think is a bit odd. Case in point, George Hurst. Yeah, yeah we mentioned George Hurst earlier, uh, who should have had higher chances there. I, I wish I could give more detail on that, but I haven't watched Fleetwood enough. I think most of what I got from Fleetwood was when I watched them the first game of the season, and that seems like a world away now. Mm. I think worth mentioning as well, lad, a straight red is a three-game ban, right? So Fleetwood are going to be without uh, without Callum Camps, who we've spoken about before. He's we haven't player. spoken about him at Fleetwood, but I, I can't remember. Was was it like Rochdale or someone used to play out? I can't even remember. Was it Rochdale? God, where have I pulled that from? Good grief. Yeah, we've talked about him in the past being a decent player and he's suspended, which is obviously going to be beneficial for us uh, because he's one of their players that I do do rate comparatively highly. I use well, that Also, as one thing word. to mention, I don't, I'm not sure if Callum Johnson has a clause to play against Portsmouth and he's their starting right back. Interesting. So that's something to mention. I don't know. Uh, we'll find out stop. at two o'clock. Mm, It'd be mm. very, very pompy not to put that clause into his into his contract, wouldn't <clears> it? <laughs> Callum Johnson cross into the box, Ellis Harrison, scissor kick to make it one nil, and that's that's the end of it. No, at Fratton Park boys, let's get into the degree here. Let's talk about the actual scores. We're going round and round the roundabout now. Annie Mitchamore, I want to know your score prediction for the game on Saturday against Fleetwood and any goal scorers, please. Well, I know that Fred said the start of the season seems a long time ago, but they were dreadful at the start of the season against us for me. Also, obviously, we're brilliant, but they weren't good against us at the start of the season, I don't think. So, yeah, I don't want to... I'm just checking the score. Yeah, we won. Yeah, I, I, I swear I remembered us winning that game. Yeah, I swear I remember thinking they were pretty poor. And they Even Lee Brown, lovely screamer, if you remember. That rings a bell, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember them not playing well, but couldn't remember the final score with. But yeah, I mean, they've not won in, what, five, six games? I think they, they won they won seven games ago, which weirdly was against Rotherham, so riddled me that. But um, yeah, they've, they're coming in not in the best of form, a decent number of draws. I'd, I'd back us to, to beat them, to turn them over at home, I think. The fact that Charlton and Cheltenham both turned them over at home I'd back us to do the same. I think 2-0. Same scoreline as their Cheltenham game and same score as their Charlton game. Goal scorer-wise, go Hurst with one and go, oh God, pick a player. Go Morel on his return to the team, which is inevitably going to happen, obviously, hopefully. Freddie Webb? Ooh, I'm going to think they're missing a lot of key players. If they're missing camps, that's big creatively. If they're missing Johnson because of the clause in the contract, that's well, their starting defender's gone as well, so that's another another miss. I'm going to be a bit more positive. I'm going to go 3-1, Pompey. How is that more positive, Fred? That's the same goal differential, mate. And we concede. It's more goals. Yeah, but I don't want more goals if one of them is us conceding. That's oh, not positivity. Well, all right, all right. God. 3-1, uh, Portsmouth. Aidan O'Brien with a brace, because I think he will... He'll, he, he, I, I think Cowley will, will start him, considering how well he played against Shrewsbury. So Aidan O'Brien, Brace, and a goal from Marcus Harness because he hasn't scored in ages. And obviously, I have to give it the Fleetwood goal to Ellis Harrison because 
well, it's Portsmouth, isn't it? Freddie is very much going down the because he's due line of thought again, even though we fundamentally disagreed with that already on this point. I like it. Hugh, what are you going for? I'm going for a 2-1 Pompey win. I mean, it's not quite goals galore, as you're saying, but looking at their results, they drew 1-1 with Cambridge, 1-1 with Shrewsbury, 1-1 with MK Dons, and then they lost 2-0 to Cheltenham. I've got a feeling it's going to be a fairly low-scoring game, but I've got us to, to pinch it 2-1. Let's get let's get, let's get get back to it. 2-1 to the Pompey. Let's have it. Ellis Harrison is going to score for them, no doubt. If Johnson is able to play due to a, some inept contract terms, it's going to be a cross from Johnson. If not... I'm going to go Danny Andrew to put a ball into the box. They're left back, a little bit experienced. He likes to cross as well. Let's say that. And goals are Pompey from Aidan O'Brien. And come on, he's got to score sometime now. Ronan Curtis. Let's do it. All right. Andy, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks, buddy. Lovely to see you. <laughs> I like the camera angle there. Them lying down in his bed. Girls, I can screenshot that for you. And Freddie Webb, great having you on the podcast. Always a pleasure. I'd love to chat to you guys as usual. And until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle. <laughs>